You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, hey guys, welcome back to the Best Practices Show where we take a look at the best business practices from the best dental practices all over. And if you're building a great dental practice, you already know how important this is. You have to find a way that people can choose you because of you. And you gotta build the equity called trust. And I've got my good friend on, Dr. Chris Ramsey, who is truly one of the most gifted speakers, um, influencers in all of dentistry on, and he's gonna take us through this. Dr. Chris Ramsey, how the heck are you, brother? I'm great. I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. I'm so psyched to be here. Dude. I think I was the second one you ever did early on in your career, right? You were the second, 10th, 15th, 18th. And I think you I compete it. with Rouse like for a, you guys should get an award <laughs> or a t-shirt or something like this. And I'll I'll just tell a story, but I want you I want people, if you're listening to this podcast, to know who Dr. Chris Ramsey is because I'm not that smart. And so as I get a chance to go on the road and hang out with other speakers, just people you gravitate to. And like as soon as I saw you, I'm like, dude, this, I mean, every single time I laugh hard. It's fun. And you also bend my mind. And so uh, I want people to know who Dr. Chris Ramsey is before we get started, because we're going to be talking about this. And this is a huge, important topic. But who's Dr. Chris Ramsey? Uh, Quickly in a nutshell, um, easy stuff. Now practicing 22 years, which is actually hard for me to say. I can't believe it. Uh, Still living in South Florida, practicing in the town I grew up in. Everyone knows that it's Ritter and Ramsey. So I've been practicing with uh, Rob Ritter, who you've had on. A lot of people know for uh, 20 years now. We have a restorative practice, restorative only. It's here in Jupiter, Florida. Um, and we run our own course. We'll talk about that a little bit later, maybe. And um, at the same time, just living living our lives here in South Florida and, and trying to pump out the best dentistry we can. And then, of course, now that COVID's kind of behind us a little bit, uh, depending on where you live, I'm, I'm back on the road doing all my team programs. So that's yeah. kind of me in a nutshell, but still practicing dentistry, hardcore, still get up every day, still love it. And, uh, still psyched to talk to people all over the country about what we're doing and, and how we're doing it. So it's yeah. good stuff. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to go a little, a little deeper than you and I shared a stage at, uh, AACD. Actually you killed it. I was before, I can't remember. <laughs> you have cornered a specific, uh, like you, you found a whole new love in the world of education. You're going a 
place that a lot of people haven't gone, if anybody's ever gone, is you're not always talking about, you're an excellent, amazing restorative dentist, but you're capturing a certain segment of education that is very cool. Can you talk about that? It's, it's you know, the first time I saw you, it was on influence and it was other things, but you go deeper in this area that a lot of people don't go. Can you tell us why? What is it and why? Yeah, I think what happened was, like a lot of speakers, I was doing restorative dentistry uh, in regards to what I was lecturing on. And I was losing my passion for it, not because I don't love it, it's because I found that I just became one of these people, like so many others, that was regurgitating the same information. So it's the same information, just showing your own cases. And it wasn't until I started introducing some of the social and cognitive psychology of things I say, the body language, art of persuasion, human decision-making, where people would all of a sudden their eyes would get lit up and those questions started to rise. And many, many moons ago, over a decade, I realized actually there's a huge populace that want to hear that. And so I started gravitating and speaking just on this concept. Understand too, I think a lot of people know this about me and I may have said this before, but I come from 12 years of hospitality and I worked for Disney. So right off the bat, I'm a customer service fanatic. Yeah. So this whole customer service thing got wrapped around this ability to say, okay, I want us to have better teams. I want us to understand our businesses, not from the way that you guys do it as consultants and getting into the nitty gritty of the numbers. I was trying to get people to understand what are you missing in the everyday conversation? What are you missing in regards to just interacting with humans every day? And if you could see what you were missing, you may see why your conversion rate or your acceptance of treatment, let's say, wasn't as high as you wanted it to be. Truth be told, as corny as this sound, I was trying to save a lot of people from burnout. I was watching a lot of people just get, they're getting frustrated and burnt out. And here I was, I'm like, I'm not, because it was so exciting what I was doing. And many years back, people would say, ah, you can't tell audiences about this. They're going to think it's crazy because you get, you go deep into their mind. I'm really, really big about getting inside people's heads. Right. And um, that's what a lot of the lecturing became. And it's just continued to morph. If you've seen me speak over the last 10 years, and it's been an unbelievable run. If you see me speak, you've seen a lot of the program, but a good 10 to 15% of that program continues to get, I drop off some of the dead stuff. I add on some of the new stuff. So it's this continuous uh, morphing of the same concepts but what's new? What do people want to hear? Where do the interest lies? I really listen to my audience. I get a lot of reviews. I get so many emails and so much feedback about, I want to know more about this. What books can I read? How did you know? Yeah. Like, how did you, you know, I would do these things on stage where I would do examples of knowing, being able to predict what people would say, where they would sit, numbers they would choose. It was almost like a show, but I was trying to show that humans are pretty predictable if you take the time to understand them. One of my best quotes from a book called Mindset, which was, I cannot, um, I cannot see a better ability than taking the time to understand other people. Because if you don't, you will always default to the one thing that you know, which is yourself. Right. And if you have a life where you think, well, they don't act like me, they don't talk like me, they don't walk like me, they don't do what I would do, so something must be wrong with them, that's not good. That's not good when we are, as dentists and team members, dealing with so many people on a given day, all these personalities coming through the door. How do you manage that? How do you start to understand all the different types of elements that you might not be seeing now, but you have this amazing ability to see and then start to realize, wow, I can now talk to these people differently and, and really see, because a lot of people are not good communicators. I'm saying your patients, they don't even know what they want coming through the door. Right. So sometimes 
you know, you want to just be able to relate to them in ways that maybe, maybe other doctors and dentists just don't. And that's where I'm trying to train the world in our field to say, hey, look, let's do this. Let's look at it differently. And if you see me speak, I talk about how we sit, where we stand, what we say, the sequence, how much I present in treatment. There's a magic number for that. The order in which I present it, there's a yeah. whole psychological thing. This is why it goes on for five hours, you know, in a given day. Yeah, That's and I it. freaking love it. And you guys are going to learn a lot today because not only are you speech, speaking to dentists, but also teams. And if you go to a Chris Ramsey lecture, you're going to be taking a lot of notes. Now, go back to this. I know about your Disney pass, but tell like the service. I was a three-time employee of the month at Applebee's. You worked at much higher restaurants than that. Were you the one that was teaching me about restaurant dynamics? If, if the special is presented correctly at the table, 50%. So you have a lot of history on why people buy and even using yeah. the art of language right? Like give us a little history. Right, I wrote a, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I apologize. No. I wrote, a, I wrote an article. I was six months out of school. Someone approached me and said, Hey, would you like to write an article about your service industry? Um, and how it convert, how I converted over to dentistry. And I had these five points that I made and basically, yes, you're right. The first point of that, um, of that, um, of that paper, which by the way, if you went to my website, my own, not Ritter Ramsey, not the big fancy one, but my own personal one, ChristopherRamsey.com, and you saw articles, there's tons of peer reviewed articles of dentistry, but this thing I'm telling you about is there. You can cherry pick it. It's a PDF for download. But the first one is make the special sound special. How restaurants present specials. And it's a question that I ask when I'm talking to a lot of groups. So when I'm talking to hundreds of people at a time, which is pretty much the programs I do because they're all team based. A lot of times I'll ask rhetorical questions. You know, if I move to this town and I've got independent tons of money and nothing but time and I need a new dentist, would I pick you? And everyone kind of stares at you. And you've got hundreds of people just quiet staring. I'm like, would I pick you? I mean, what makes you special? What makes you stand out? What are you doing differently than the person across the street? And by the way, if you're not, that's okay. I just think it's important to, you got to be able to define yourself and the vision has to be with the dentist and then it trickles down to the team. I ask team members all the time, why would I come to your office? And a lot of times they're like, I don't know, I just needed a job and he hired me. I really don't know what the hell's going on here. You know, so I ask a lot of questions of people, you know, what, what makes a special sound special? That was number one in the article. The next one, if you're in the restaurant business, you understand this because they take orders right. specifically. Communicate clearly. What's that mean? How do I communicate with my patients? How do I communicate with the laboratories? How do I communicate in a way? Einstein once said, if you can't explain it simply, then you just don't understand it well enough. You've got to dummy it down to the, the dumbest person in the room. Your communication is the responsibility of the sender, meaning it's my responsibility. If I say anything to a patient or a lab or anything and they go, I don't get what you're saying, that's my fault, yep. not theirs. So I learned all that in the service industry, all of it. If I wasn't in dentistry, I would have been in hospitality 100%. I love kind of what you love. Give me a group of people and let me make them feel like rock stars. Yeah. I can do that. You give me the tools necessary because everyone is a rock star. They just need to get their internal, you know, Axel Rose out and do their thing. You know? Yeah, I can speak firsthand because every time I'm with you, like uh, not only am I going to go to the protocol and experience that dinner the night, at, you know, before, but you <laughs> took me out to a place. I can't remember. We were in West Palm. You took me to that famous uh, hotel and you're like, oh, you want to go get a cocktail? We're going to go somewhere special. I'm like, oh my gosh, only rock stars go to this place. And <laughs> right, I can't right, even right. remember. It was crazy fun, but uh, 
there's no joke. You've got a crazy gift for this. Now go back to this. Um, you know, you're talking about why somebody would choose you and it all comes back to the crux of reputation. Can you, if I'm a young dentist listening, Chris, tell me how important that is for longevity in great restorative dentistry. Yeah. So this is really interesting as my program would morph it, I would get on a plane, I'd fly home and I would think about all the conversations I would have afterwards. And I love that part. You're done for the day and people just bombard you with questions. And I really try to give each and every person, not a quick answer. I want to listen. I want to hear what they have to say. And I want to give them, because if they're taking the time to stay after a program and ask a question that's important to them, I want to give them that information. So I started to really keep a mental track of the question. And a lot of them were very similar so what happened was a lot of times, if you know me well, and sometimes it becomes a joke, many times when you ask me a question, I will answer you with a question. Yes. You and people have often said, what do you think you're a prophet? You know, I'm like, mm -hmm. I just, a question answered with a question sometimes is, is interesting. So I would then find myself asking the question, you know, truly just why, what, what makes your, what makes your practice unique? Like, why do you, why do you, why are people even coming to you? You may have bought a practice that's been there for 30 years. Maybe you started from scratch. You're working with your dad. You're working with your mom. Okay. It's all different, but what's going on? So, and everyone would say, well, we have a really good reputation and that would come up all the time. We have a really good reputation. Excellent. Great answer. If you don't mind, define reputation for me. And then people would stumble and be like, well, and although people said, I know it in my head, I just can't get the words out. So I said, so imagine you're that same person now at work. If you can't define it to yourself, how are you defining it to the people around you that you're asking to carry this business? We got these practices doing one, three, five, eight million dollars. And people don't even know what makes them click, yet major companies have mission statements and they understand what's going on. And you are good, act, and everybody is good at saying, hey, I can take this, I can take your data, I can show you where you're falling short, blah, 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 blah. But the interpersonal skills are where a lot of people just don't take the time. They'll hire right. a consulting company and say, you know, get my stuff straight. But a lot of times it's just this inability to communicate to their own people of saying, why are people coming here? And, and what, what does a reputation mean? So I say, define reputation. And people couldn't do it. What would happen was they would always work in a certain word. And they, as I asked them to say, define your reputation, they'd say, blah, 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 blah. And people trust us and trust. I was like, okay, trust. I won't break their stones and ask them to define trust. But I started to get on the road and ask people, give me your definition of trust. Yeah. Oh my God, it was a disaster. Yeah. So I quickly realized a couple of years ago, I need to do a deep dive into trust. Now, what, what is that? And what does that mean? Now that could mean a million things to a million people, but how do I make it? How do I make it relative to what we're doing here in dentistry? Because I'm going to give you some stats and it's, it's overwhelming how crazy the concept of trust is. And look, I'm going to be the first one to tell you, I, I want to tell you this because I think it's important because some people know me by name. Some people have met me. Some people have never met me. In big areas of trust, I failed. I failed by definition. I was married for 24 years. And one way or another, that trust got broken down uh, a little bit, maybe on both sides or whatever the case may be, whatever the story is, depending on who you're talking to. But the point was, I failed at it. So in the back of my mind, I was very interested in saying, okay, I need to figure out what trust is. How do I define it? How do I then take those elements and start to fix it, both with myself personally, 
And then also, what does it mean for me as a, in, in my profession? So I can work on my personal on the side, but on my, on my professional life, I started to realize this is what dentists need to know. What do they what do they need to know in regards to the elements of trust and what that means? If they could break it down and they could put it in a package, they could say, okay, now I've got something I can grab onto. Now I've got the meat of saying, these are the elements of trust. This is what I'm going to tell my team. This is what we're going to work on. And if they can break it down and see it clear as day, then that trust goes up with the people that they're treating. And I start to see people with better conversion rates, better, more, more new patients and the snowballing in the right direction. Yeah. So take us right into it. So like down even to the basics and you're going to have to start simple with me because there's a, this is a one cylinder engine up here. So like make it easy <laughs> enough for me to understand. Okay. That, yeah. Know, yeah. And, yeah. No, no problem. No, <laughs> no problem. So let's, so first of all, reputation, reputation is basically, if you're looking at a grid, it's value over trust in a sense, you got four, four blocks. So you can have no value, no trust, high value, little trust, you know, things like this. So we're, what we're striving for is that top right corner, high value, high trust. We won't bother with value. Let's just talk about what trust is. So oof, there's so many things. First of all, when you ask someone to define it, it was almost impossible to define. I, I found a great article in 2015, um, and it started to talk about a lot of things in trust. The, the, this is, there's a writer by the name of Berglund, and Berglund in his paper basically said, it was, a, it was called the neuroscience of trust. Now, the neuroscience caught me because that's what I'm really into. So I love reading anything neuro, about neuroscience. And he says, we all have a propensity to trust. It's how we're wired as humans. It's in our DNA to want to trust. That's how we've evolved as, as humans. And so the thing you need to understand about trust is it is innate within us to want to trust. It's been the key to our survival. So right off as the bat, as a human, we, we are wired that way to want to trust. I meet somebody and I go, yes, I'll trust that. Because think about it, if that wasn't wired, no one would go to a dentist for the first time. You have to walk through their door, right. meet a stranger, and let them crawl inside your mouth, which is in and of itself an intimate experience. That's a lot of trust for a stranger. So if you could just look at it from that perspective, we're very good about just saying, okay, you know, we can we can trust as a human and 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 be okay with it. So I saw a great stat, 47% of humans trust by default across the board. So let's, let's talk about, let's talk about trust for a second, because I think when we start looking at some important things, let's go with the companies right off the bat. And I want to make this relative to dentistry, but I want to make it in perspective so people could understand too, some important things. These are the, think of the most of the brands that you use. So right off the bat, think of how well we trust things, meaning blindly. Yeah. So if I asked you the top five companies you thought of last year that were considered the most trustworthy, could you rattle them off? Like, what would you say? Just give me a company. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is probably Amazon, just because yeah, I Amazon trust. Yeah, number five. So Amazon was number five. Very good. Yeah. Really? I couldn't even, um, would Apple be up there or no? Okay. I'm glad you said that. You know what's Why? crazy? As of last year, Apple was not there. Really? So we could go on a whole tangent about why. Here's top five. Google, number one. PayPal, number two, wow. Microsoft, number three, YouTube, number four, and Amazon, number five. Now, what's interesting, it goes on and on, gives you the top 15. There's some weird companies in here. Number seven was Adidas, go figure. But I know it's weird, but the point was what was missing from here, there wasn't a single company on here that was a social media company outside of YouTube. Right. So there was no trust in TikTok, Instagram, 
any of that. So that in and of itself is probably a whole nother conversation. But wow. so right off the bat, we had number one globally, we trust Google. But if you've heard all the crazy stories, you should probably not trust Google, right. but we do. So we're a very, very, very trustworthy individuals, um, you know, as far as blanketly trusting things go. So it's kind of, it's kind of cool. So there's been amazing lectures. If you've ever heard of Benet Brown, she does, a, she breaks down a thing called the anatomy of trust. Now she's done a great YouTube uh, TED talk on that. And she's phenomenal. She went down and then created her own acronym called Braving. The thing about Benet Brown's concept of trust was it broke down boundaries, reliability, accountability, vault, integrity, non-judgment, and generosity. And those were very good points, but I think they were more headed towards interpersonal relationships, a husband and wife, you know, fiancés, people getting married, people starting to date. I was more interested in the everyday, I don't want to just say business aspect, but what does it mean for us to trust in regards to how we're going to break it down, you know, with each other in this everyday existence? I needed to find something that was a little bit easier to grab onto. And trust is a huge thing. Look at, I, I looked up some stats. Okay. You realize it was 1867 that they put in God we trust on our coins. Wow. 1867. And in 1960s is when in God we trust ended up on all our money. Yet the money's controlled by the government, but if you look at government always ranks the lowest in regards to being trustworthy. So we're living in this insane world of, I trust my government, I trust my, I don't trust my government, but I trust the money that they make. It's crazy. So it gets, it gets really, really, really intense. But let's look at, let's look at some things that we know to be true. How do we define it? Well, in 1984, 8485, there were these two researchers, Lewis and Weiger, and they called trust a highly complex and multidimensional phenomenon. So it wasn't until we started getting a little bit more modern times, there was a great book out by Charles Feltman called The Thin Book of Trust. And he's, he has probably the one of the best definitions I've ever heard of, which is choosing to risk making something you value vulnerable to another person's actions. Mm. And I thought that was a great, great, great way of kind of breaking down what trust meant. So I spent some time, I delved into all the literature and said, okay, how is the literature breaking down this concept of, of trust? I wanna run this by you. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna bore you with all the little things, but it, to me, I found it crazy because here I am talking to dentists saying, what is about it? They go, well, people trust me, asking them to define it, then they can't. Right. But then the literature actually had a hard time with it too. They had, they check this out, they called it a noun and a verb, an elusive concept, a conceptual confusion, confusing potpourri, a conceptual morass, behavioral intention, social structure, a belief, personality trait. It was all defined in all these different ways. There were 65 articles and monographs containing the definition of trust in the literature. So think about this, all these super scholastic people, they can't even define it or agree what it means. So we're asking dentists to say, well, why do people come to you? Oh, well, people trust me. Right. <laughs> well, no one can define it. So I was like, oh, it has to be more to it than that. I mean, what, what are those traits? What are the, I was digging to see what the traits were. And so what we found was after going through all the literature in the, there were 23 references of trust in psychology, 23 from management and communication, and another 19 spread across sociology, economics, and political science. So what was really cool was when it was all said and done, they broke it into four basic categories benevolence, integrity, competence, and predictability. 
Now, I did mention Charles Feltman's book. What was really cool about Charles Feltman's book, he mentioned the same exact ones. He just didn't mention predictability. So his categorization um, didn't, didn't involve predictability. The guy who went on to lecture about this was this guy, James Davis, out of uh, Utah State University. He talks about benevolence, competence, and integrity. But predictability was one of those things where it was left out. But I did like adding predictability because predictability by definition was important for dentistry because predictability was somewhat a trustee a person's actions that are consistent enough to be forecasted in a given situation. Well, where does that, where does that mean in dentistry? That means people can look at stuff online and go, wow, look at all the smiles they've created. I see that they've done this before. There's some predictable results in what they're doing. Okay, let me now look at that person. So I do like predictability as being one of the categories. Yeah. But I wanted to hit, if it's cool with you, those other three, which is that cool triad, once you take predictability out of it, which was the three that people really kind of latched onto, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, let's do that. And uh, I love where you're going with this because predictability, number one, like we're we're starving for a world in which people make promises and they keep them. So number one- you know, you, you make a promise as a business and you, then here's a big one, staying on time as a dentist. That's like Pete Dawson used to say, you could build a practice just by staying on time, you know, yes. and it was amazing. Yes. And, um, because every time you don't keep a promise as a consumer, it's a little bit of a withdrawal. So I'm not going to trust you. And so, and the other thing, Chris, I think you would agree with is dentistry is a very, there's a lot of components to it. Like there's a lot oh, of pieces. It's not crazy. A, it's not a restaurant. It's not a graphic design or a tattoo parlor where you got a few things. I mean, there's a lot of pieces. So predictability is right. crazy important. Right. So, predictability is hugely important, but the, it seems that was top three. I guess whether you're talking dentistry or medicine or whatever, these next three, I think um, they do ring true. If you can if you can really compartmentalize these next three, I think this is something you could bring to your team and say, these are the three things that are going to be super important. And you know me, you've seen me lecture. I'm big on the, th- on the concept of three. Yeah, you, wait, wait, now, now explain that. Let's go into the three and then tell us the oh. why behind the three. Cause you can't just, oh, okay, so, you can't, you just can't throw the concept up and not tell a listener what it is. Right. right. So for those people who've seen me speak, uh, they know what I'm talking about, but if you've never seen me speak, I'm really big on the concept of threes. There's a, thing in Latin, Latin called omne triumph perfectum. Everything that comes in threes is perfect. If you look through your life since the beginning of time, three, the concept of threes have always been there. We learned a lot of this in the writings of the Greeks um, when Thomas Jefferson was putting together Declaration of Independence and they were all writing and putting together things. It was, um, you know, life, liberty, and happiness, three things that put together that document. And he got that from the writings of the Greeks. And if you start looking, I can rattle it all off how many times three has been in your life. You know, all the books you read, Three Little Pigs, Three Blind Mice, uh, The Three Musketeers, Rub a a Lamp, Get Three Wishes from the Genie. You learn three primary colors, three secondary colors in school. Some of the games you play were tic-tac-toe, three in a row. Christopher Columbus came over on three ships. Uh, Most of the... flags around the world are three primary colors. It goes on and on. Three big pyramids in Egypt, inside the main pyramid, three burial chambers. So three has been there. If you're, if, uh, if you're a spiritual person, you have uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's mm-hmm. There's three. There's three goes on all over the place. I have a so, first name, middle name, last name. Like this is, it doesn't end, you know? It doesn't end. So three, our brain we know does really, really well on three. So when I'm talking about treatment options and presenting treatment, I get into that part of the lecture where I go, you need to narrow it down to three. 
which I'm going to talk to you about during the console part here in a second, narrow it down to three and then how you sequence those three, which one you present first, which one you present last. But three plays a huge role. So when I was reading about all this concept of trust, once we got past the concept of predictability, that's a great trait. And people can get predictability just by looking online and seeing your results you get or reading some of your reviews. They're like, okay, you know, I kind of, I don't know this person, but they look to be getting a very predictable result with what they're providing in regards to this service. So the other three then were like, okay, these were going to be the meat that I could then express to all the audience and say, this is what your take-home message is. Nail these three, make sure your team understands what these three are. And if you work on these three, you are truly now working on that thing called trust. For the first time in your professional life or personal life, you will be able to define it both to your team and to the people that are coming to see you, hoping that you'll be their dentist for the next X amount of years, that type of thing. So very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk. So the first one was um, benevolence, caring and being motivated to act in one's interest rather than acting opportunistically. I remember John Coyce used to talk about this in his lecture. You know, he would tell you patients can feel if you're doing it for the right reasons or you're doing it for monetary reasons. So this concept of, you know, doing it right, caring and being motivated to act in one's interest is extremely important because benevolence in and of itself basically means to me one thing, which I try to tell the audiences all the time, which is, are you connecting with them? What are you doing? Are you being able, benevolence is, is, is about this relationship, but it's your ability to connect. No ego, person to person, can you connect with this person? Right. And I think that's extremely important, and, you know, right off the bat. The question that a patient's going to ask when they're in their own head, when they're sitting there is, does this person care? Do they really care about my situation and what's going on? And what does your team and your office and your demeanor and your everything, what does that present? Does it even give the illusion that you care? Or are you just moving like this? Get them in, get them out. I'm barely listening. Yes, yes, yes. I know what I'm doing. Please stop talking. Just open your mouth. Let me do my thing. And people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I need to know that we're in some way we're connecting as two individuals. Right. So benevolence right off the bat, I think, was a huge, huge aspect um, that was in, important for people to understand. Yeah. And that's, a, second, that's kind of the only way to practice. You know, when you're a dentist and you're experiencing that, you know, that exchange. And at the end of the day, like, I, I just think a day of benevolence is better than any other day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's one of the best ways, in fact, when we start talking about Benevolence, okay, your ability to connect, no ego going. I think one of the best ways is, and I talk about this a lot, this is kind of a sub-theme of my day when I speak for five hours, is everything's got to be positive, man. Everything has to be positive. Dentistry in and of itself is so negative. And I'll talk about this as I bleed into the, the console, but it, it's just, it's just dentistry is being taught wrong for decades. And I, I make this statement and I'll have people in the room, they're like, Wow, that's a big statement. I've been practicing 45 years. How dare you say that? And I would say, well, where'd you learn? Where'd you learn it from? And it might be from a dental school or a mentor, but everyone's being taught to do dentistry negatively. And it's, can I give you an example? Please. You, you okay with it? Yeah. Okay. Here's the analogy I tell everybody, and it's so true. Check this out. You go to get your teeth cleaned. I'm going to use round numbers here. So please, for where you are geographically, bear with me. Uh, just, so you go to get your teeth cleaned from a person. That person is a licensed individual, a hygienist. Simultaneously, you can go get a professional massage, a professional massage mm -hmm. for somebody who's also licensed, who has a license 
to do massages. So you have two individuals who you're going to spend an hour with. See the analogy here? The, right. Both an hour, both licensed professionals. And let's say a tooth clean is going to be somewhere between 120 to 150 bucks. And a massage is going to be somewhere between 120 and 150 bucks. In dentistry, they've made it seem like it's okay to collect all your information. And then when your appointments start, you know, once you get going into the actual cleaning, you have an individual who doesn't mind telling you everything you're doing wrong. You could floss here a little bit more. You could miss this. Oh, you got a crack restoration, blah, 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 blah. Negative, 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 negative. Imagine you go for that same massage. You're sitting there, the smell, it's music. You're there in your little skivvies. You're naked under your little cloth. They come in. Are you good? Yes, I'm good. They start to rub your back and, you know, they work it on your thigh. And imagine they go, you know, Kirk, this ass is looking a little big. You know, it's looking a little fat there, Kirk. You know, you could work on this cottage cheese just a little bit. You'd be like, what the hell's going on? This is not relaxing. Mm -mm. So it's the only, dentistry is the only industry where we say it's okay to go spend an hour somewhere, pay for a service and have them beat you down on everything that's going on. So negative all the time. And it drives me crazy because we keep training hygiene and dentists to be negative. Think of the exam. Think of the exam. We start somebody to say, okay, they do the pleasantries. They look on the upper right. Okay, let's take a look. They'll go, oh, there's a crack on two, mobility on three, recession on four. They get to five, which is perfect. They actually skip it. They don't say anything. They go, they never stop and go, wow, it's a great number five. They skip it to continue to find other problems that are wrong with you. So here you're meeting a stranger and all they're doing is telling you all your problems. It doesn't make any sense, man. Yeah. So when we start talking about the consult, I'll tell you how I believe it should start, how it should end. It should be book, basically uh, bookends of positivity, both front and back. And people that know me have heard me say this for over a decade. I'm really big on the experience being positive from the moment they come. Love it. Call to the moment they come to the moment they leave. It all has to be blanketed with positivity. Yeah. It's awesome. I love it. And so from benevolence, where we go next of the three. So from benevolence, we go on to the next one, which is basically integrity, okay. making good faith agreements, telling the truth and fulfilling those promises. Basically, it's a set of your values. And what the patient's really thinking is, will they do what they said they're going to do? Are they going to stick to what they agreed to do? This is another reason why I'm really big on case fees. When you decide to get work done with me, I'll give you a fee. Once I give you that fee, I promise you this, no matter what happens, no matter how south this may go or what problems we're going to run into, nothing will change. I promise to do this service for X. We're going to stick to X and I'm going to see you to the end. And dentists, you cannot be nickel and diming people to death or changing gears. Oh, you lost that tooth. Now you need an implant. Oh, that implant crowns a little bit more. That's terrible. Right. So there's so many times to say integrity is extremely important in dentistry. Will they do what they said they're going to do? What is the set of values that make me feel like if I choose this, give this person my hard-earned money, they will see it to the end and I will get done as promised. Yeah. And that's a huge, huge, huge part that built that, that concept of trust. Yeah. Huge, and so huge. as you're building this and obviously as you get stronger and more confident and you've had more experience, you mentioned being in the middle with your fees. Now, can you talk about that? Cause that was kind of an epiphany for you. Like it was, it was. And I hope everyone that's listening right now, really, really like if you're driving, let's say somewhere and you're listening to this, you know, pay attention to the car in front of you, but I want you to hear what I'm about to say because it was life altering for me. There are points in our career where we are just like, you know what, enough's enough. We all have those moments. And these were the people I was talking about 
friends of mine that were hitting burnout. They weren't, they were doing hitting burnout, but they weren't able to, they just didn't want to make the changes necessary. They were willing to go in every day and deal with staff, a staff member who was nasty and they wouldn't, they couldn't get rid of them out of fear. They wouldn't make any changes out of fear. Everything was out of fear. And I was finally like, I sat down with Rob Ritter, my partner, and I was like, you know what? Enough's enough. I got one go at this. I did the first half of my career one way. I'm going to do the second half a completely different way. And one of those things was I no longer, because dentists love this. This is a very comfortable zone for dentists. They love to look at a patient and go, I'm not, um, we're not the most expensive in town, but we're not the cheapest. We're right there in the middle. I believe what we do is fair for the product we serve. Oh my God. I couldn't do that anymore. I couldn't do it. And I finally said, you know what? I'm going to make my fees higher than everybody else in town. I am now the most expensive guy in Northern Palm Beach County, period. And as someone, as soon as someone charges the same as I do, I'm going to up my fees again because I couldn't take it. Because I thought of all the training that Rob and I have done, and I mean hardcore over the last decade, the hundreds of thousands of dollars we put in, not some weekend Invisalign course. I'm talking about hardcore fundamental training, all of COIS, all of the spear lectures, all the Dawson and, and Panky and all the stuff we had done to become better clinical dentists, plus all the training and all the stuff we were bringing to the table. Our physical plant was redone last year. My significant other uh, redesigned Ritter Ramsey, updated logo, beautiful facility. I believe we have the nicest office in Northern Palm Beach County, at least by today's standards until someone else does something else. Everything lined up for us to say, you know what? Forget it. We are now the most expensive in town. And Kirk, God is my witness, and I'm so grateful we're busier than ever. Wait, it's, wait, wait, wait. That, that makes no sense. Cause yeah, you think it would not be. You know why it doesn't make sense? Because you've been dealing with dentists for too long. That's why it don't make sense, because dentists can't think like that. And I was guilty of that. They mm -hmm. go, oh, that doesn't make sense. You're going to up your fees, and everyone's going to leave. No one leaves. They stay. No one leaves, because everything else was in line. They walk into a facility, they're like, Wow. Kirk, I've been to a lot of practices. I travel a lot, as you do and as you well know. I go into some offices, they look like a cracker barrel. There's crap streamed everywhere. There's this, that, that doesn't, nobody matches. There's no uniforms. It's just a mess. So yeah, you probably don't deserve to have the highest fees in town. But when you line up everything and you have a Disney mentality towards your practice, a Starbucks mentality, right? Starbucks is expensive coffee. They're probably the most expensive coffee you can buy as a consumer. But people buy it. Mm -hmm. They're doing $22 billion a year in $6 coffees. Every day. So, And it keeps going up. Look at you. They're exactly, sneaking in exactly. extra. Every time I look at it, it keeps going up like 50 cents does, or a quarter. It'll continue to go. It'll continue to go. I paid $6.31 for a Vente shaken brown sugar espresso, blah, blah, blah. And I love that thing. Ooh, oh. so good. Is that but the oatmeal espresso one? That's the oatmeal yes. espresso. Yes, yes. Only two pumps because I can't stand the sugar. But oh, so good. So good. So what we did is we upped our fees. I can go down the rabbit hole too and tell you what we do with insurance, but makes that makes the people uncomfortable, you know. But I could tell you. But the truth is, we, we did what we said we were going to do. A lot of it. Listen, I'm not placating you here. You have lectured for years and you've talked about statistically. I took a lot of your advice. I block scheduled after I heard you speak numerous times. I block scheduled myself. We did not ever expand our hours. We're not even open on Fridays, right? I use your Chick-fil-A model all the time about them being closed on Sunday and still doing more revenue than McDonald's. Everything that I said, why am I not doing this is because I was guilty of doing what a lot of dentists do say, that's not going to work for me. That's not going to work because I'm in Iowa. That's not going to work because I'm in Seattle. That's not going to work because I'm in Boise, you know, whatever. It, the point is 
as you heard me talk about, I'm obsessed with humans. Humans are humans. Right. So you get to know how people think. You can predictably say, I know I can do this and it won't fail because I know what the average person is going to respond like. Yeah. And that's what we did. And it was a leap of faith. But man, I swear to you, I'm so happy. We're busier than ever. Yeah. Busier than ever. I don't know what's going on. And our fees are what our, our fees are what we want them to be, yeah. which is a value for what we've created both in, again, physical plan and the dentistry and the service. There's a service there, what we provide. Yeah. So it's huge. I'm so happy for you guys. And if you're a young dentist listening, I think the important thing is don't wait. You waste so much time playing this game in your head of like, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. You have nothing to lose to try. Like, no, that's that's a great thing. You know, the trying part is where um, I think a lot of dentists, I don't know. I read, uh, I was reading a great article one time and it was this, it was, they were trying to figure out the age at which most humans start to become fearful of trying things. It was interesting because I use an analogy when I'm talking, you know, when you first have a baby, remember you have, you have four kids, right? right. So you, you've got your kid. Remember when they first started walking they're kind of like wobbling and they fall down. Oh, Imagine yeah. that baby was like this walking thing, man, it's not for me. Forget it. I'm not doing it. Right. But they get up. Why are kids so good at video games? Because they'll sit there and they start playing, but boom, I'm dead, boom, 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 dead, dead. And they'll do that for a month. Next thing you know, they master the game. Adult picks up a remote and goes, dead. And they throw the remote and they're like, this game stinks, mm-hmm. right? We get fearful of trying stuff. That was the one thing I got to give my partner props for. Almost every crazy idea I've ever had, Ritter, my partner would go, dude, let's try that. And I'm like, let's try that. And some of the things we tried didn't work. But a lot of things we tried where people, even my own team members said, we're not doing it. I, I'll, give you, I'll give you one quick example. They fought me like crazy. And I said, ladies, look at my face. This is not up for discussion. We're doing it. And they were like, okay. Which was, I went to get, I was 50 years old. I went to get a colonoscopy. It was that time of year, right? Yeah. And I went to this dumpy, I love the guy. He's super nice. But I went to his dumpy little crappy medical office and i mean crappy and i remember everywhere had these yellow pieces of paper they were taped everywhere which was basically them saying we're going to need your credit card for billing and then when i got there they go we need your credit card you know for balance due when you're finished i'm like okay gave her my credit card so what happened they didn't have to send me a bill upon my thing balance due they swiped my credit card and that was done and i said that's what we're going to do oh my god my staff fought me on that we can't do that. Patients aren't going to want to do it. I go, I don't care. Either they pay in full or they give us a credit card. Do you know how many patients? We have 4,000 patients between me and Rob. Do you know how many patients will not give us their credit card? I have no idea, but it's pretty close to zero. Yes, three. <laughs> and I asked those, and I asked two of the three, why not? They're like, well, I'm worried about fraud. I said, okay, no problem. Right. I had the same discussion with all three. I said, tell me a credit card company, a reputable one, not a debit card, but a credit card who will not back you up if you've had a fraudulent charge. And the truth is, everyone will back you up. Credit card is the way to go. And so you're not going to have, we're not stealing your identity, you know, here. So my point is, we do that. So we have credit cards on everybody now. And you know what? I have very expensive employees now that do not send out bills at the end of the month, which is a massive time waster when you're trying to collect They're like, forget it. I'll just pay my um, next time I come back. But times 4,000, that's a lot of money out there. For sure. So, yeah. So those are little things. I'm just trying to give you examples where dentists have got to be okay saying, you know what? I'm going to give this a try. 
but wholeheartedly they got to try hardcore. Yeah. And what's after integrity? So, um, yes. So after, so, so we had benevolence, we had integrity. And then lastly, we had basically competence, having the ability or power to do for one, what needs done. Competence is sometimes substituted for the word ability. When you hear James Davis uh, from Utah State University, he changes the word competence to ability. But the bottom line is, can they do what they say they're going to do? Right. Right. And that means within their field. So, you know, unfortunately, we live in a world that's unfortunate. You know, that's is why, you know, if I go see a guy, let's say he's got tattoos up his neck, literally covering his neck up to his chin. That might not be the guy I want for a dentist. Now, is that labeling? Yes, that's how we are as humans. We have a tendency to judge. But if that guy was like, hey, I'm a really good auto mechanic, I go, I bet you are. You know, or he may say, I'm a, I'm a cyber, you know, I'm a cyber guy, uh, cy- you know, uh, uh, cyber crime guy. I'm like, I bet you are. So we often judge people by many things, but all we want to know is, can this person do what they say they're going to be able to do? And a lot of that goes back to predictability. Well, I saw your results online, but I've also talked to my friends. You've been here for a long time. They start adding all these things up. Can you do what you say you're going to do? And one of the things that goes in with that is you've heard the term confirmation bias. Yes. Confirmation bias is that thing that says, I'm going to judge you in some capacity for some reason. And then I'm going to look for all the things that confirm I'm right because I like to be right. Dude, so we're. I, I'm. I just read that this morning. I'm reading a book called Adam Grant Think Again, and he's talking about confirmation bias. So, like, there you go, there you go. So, when I'm talking to groups, I'm telling them, do you realize the importance of the person who answers your phone? I mean, that very, very first point of contact, someone's going to judge your practice, mm-hmm. and now they're going to let's say Susie who answers the phone. Maybe it wasn't great. It wasn't the best it could be. That person on the other end goes. That wasn't great communication, but I'm still going to go. But now they're walking through looking for all those little things to confirm. I knew it. This place sucks. I don't want to be here. Or as opposed to Susie, she just crushes it on the phone. I mean, oh my God. You've heard that expression. You can tell someone's smiling on the other side of the phone. Oh, for sure. Yeah. When you call Disney and you're buying tickets over online, over the phone, that person's so excited for you. They're sitting in a little telecom area selling you tickets for you know, $120 to go see Mickey Mouse for you and your family per person. And they're so happy and you can just tell you're so willing to spend that they're money. They're good, they're good. So yes, when Susie just crushes it on the phone, now that person's walking through the door and goes, God, that was a great experience. Now they're looking for all those things that go, yes, I knew this place was awesome. Oh, I love that, I love this, I love that. So that first point of contact, which is also known as there's this thing called a primacy effect, that very first impression. That primacy effect takes takes place in confirmation bias. So if they're amazing from the first point of contact, by the time they get to you, they already want to convince themselves, I believe this person can do what they say they're going to do because I trusted myself to come here because Susie was great. The staff has been great. I like this person that they just met, meaning the dentist, and they want to convince themselves I'm in the right spot. Yeah, I love it. So take us in how we, now that we have all good definitions for all of these, how the heck do we use it to define trust in the art of the consult. So how do I put all this together? Well, yeah, I think what, so what happens in time for the consult, I think the very first thing that has to happen is you, you talk to me, I talked to you about the book ending concept. So the first part of your concept in your office is 
they've got to just rock and roll at the beginning. Now that person's decided to come in. By the time they come in through the door, now we're talking about somebody sitting down and they're coming to you for some reason to consult you with something. Typically, our consults are built around the fact that somebody wants to do something dramatic to their teeth. And so the very first thing I tell people is, I always sit down with the basics. Hey, it's nice to meet you. How did you find us? Now, believe it or not that how did you find us? That's an important conversation because no matter what that patient says, I want them to see the value of how amazing I think that is. So I found you on Google. You know what? You're officially my favorite patient. And they'll typically laugh. I go, I love the people that find us on Google because our Google presence, that means you've taken the time to do what you see necessary to contrast and compare, take the time to come in here. And for that, I do thank you. Or I came in because of Mary. Oh my God, I love Mary right? What am I doing? I'm finding that first reason to be complimentary to you based on the simple question, how did you find us? Right. Right. So once they sit down, I I won't bore you with all the body language parts, but I do sit down with the majority of people eye to eye. If I see it with females, I have a tendency to a little lower. This goes back to the concepts I've often talked about, uh, personal space, not being talked down to. You dentists do not stand over people and talk down to them. Both you're talking down to them physically, but you're also talking down to them from a, a, a sociology standpoint. You're, you're talking totally. down to them. So I sit down to them next to them and just start a little bit of a conversation of, hey, you know, let, let's talk about what's bringing you in here. But that sitting down eye to eye is extremely important. So once the console gets going, I often will say the same thing. I will tell them. Now, Kirk, everything I'm about to say to you from here and going, this has been tested over and every every line that I'm giving you, everything I'm giving you has literally been tested and brought down. It's not that I'm so smart. I've just used all the social and cognitive psychology and broke it down to figure out what gets in people's heads and why it works. My own partner will tell you, my conversion rate is massive, well into the 90%, which means most people that come, they consult with me, they commit. That's what happens. And that's not a testament to me. That's just saying it's a testament to taking the time to figure out what are the elements and how do I talk to people both physically and verbally, physically meaning where am I standing, where am I sitting, and then what am I saying? So as the first thing I always tell people is very basic. I have one big goal for this this console and it's strictly information. It is not to sell you on any any fact. In fact, I want to give you so much information, it's probably, it might be even a little bit overwhelming. Because I want you to make the best decision for yourself, even if that means I'm not your dentist. Our goal here, because we've been here for so long, is that we like to give patients so much information that all we're trying to do is keep you from making a mistake elsewhere, meaning being delivered false promises or something like that. So I'm going to go over your case and go over it with you so that you understand what the best thing is for yourself. Now, this next part, Kirk, is extremely important. So again, if someone's driving, listening to this, and they're a little bit in autopilot, I want to clap my hands and tell them, listen to this next part. Every single person on the planet that goes to see a dentist will always say two things every single time. Here they go. I don't want my teeth to look like chiclets, and I want my teeth to look natural. I have seen, I have done this in different languages. I've been translated guy in Montreal, French Canadian, he goes, chicle. I was like, yes, chicle, sir, that's correct. But you understand what I'm saying, right? Everyone that's listening to us right now will say, yes, that happens to me at every console for cosmetics. I don't want to look like chicklets and I want my teeth to look natural. So you know they're going to say that. Do you know what the best thing in the world to do to get inside someone's 
head or have them go, wow, we're really connecting. Remember what I said connecting was? Benevolence. How do you connect with these people? The way I connect is I make sure I address that before they ever say it. This is the game. You must address the chiclets and natural thing before them. If they say before you, you lose. That's the game. So, so, you, so you introduce that in the consult. You're already going to tell them that. I haven't even looked in their mouth yet. And I sell them. I want to give you a lot of information, but let me tell you a little bit about what we do here real quickly. I say the same thing all the time. Any dentist can do veneers. It's a weekend course at best. I don't use the term veneer because I believe that's a term that a lot of people, the consumer knows such as yourself, but a lot of dentists use it because it sounds sexy and they're trying to sell you something. We design smiles to fit a face. So just so we're on the same page, I go, I don't make big white chiclets and my number one goal is to give you the whitest teeth possible that still looks natural. Yeah. I haven't even looked at them yet. And they're already, and that, you know what that person does? You can see a light bulb. They're like, right, that's what I want. Because I had to tell the other two turkeys, I don't want this, I don't want that. But you've already said what I was thinking. We're connecting. Yeah. It's almost like when you go to a mind reader and you're like, oh my God, how did you know that? Mm-hmm. How did you know I was going to say that? So when you say to somebody, I'm going to design a smile to fit your face, balance the lower third and middle third of your face, but I don't make big white chiclets and I want to give you the whitest teeth I can, but still look natural. And a lot of times people go, yeah, yeah, I, I hate that. And, and they'll start going off on these tangents about everything they don't like. So what I do then at that point, as I will tell them, I said, we're going to take some pictures of you real quickly. And I'll say, let me just take some quick pictures. Click, click, click. Now, one of the greatest things we ever did, we bought a $300 Vizio, 50-inch TV that we stick on the wall behind us. Super cheap. Costco. Mm-hmm. HDMI cord. So as soon as I take a picture, guess what? That picture pops up, pops up right behind me. And at 50 inches of people seeing their teeth, everybody goes, I could bring Brad Pitt in there and he'd be like, yikes, man. Those teeth look terrible. You know. So they see their teeth on the screen. But what do I do at this point? Don't start talking dentistry. All I say to them is I go, you know what? I want to make sure you and I are on the same page. So when you're standing in the grocery store and you're getting ready to check out and you're looking at all the magazines and you think to yourself, that's a beautiful smile. I want to make sure you understand what your brain sees. Your brain sees lips, tissue, and teeth. If any one of those is not harmonized, it throws things off. I go, you've seen ladies that puff up their lips. Yes, it doesn't look right. Or too gummy, it doesn't look right. Or yellow teeth, it doesn't look right. You need all three of those things. And as soon as I say that, I will turn around and I look right at their photo. Do you know what I'm about to do, Kirk? I haven't even gone in their mouth yet. I'm just looking at the photo as I'm looking for another reason to give them a compliment. Because every other dentist that's listening to this right now would typically look at that picture and they'd start the negative train, as I already mentioned. They'd start saying, well, this is crowded and that's yellow and that's broken. So, oh my God, the person knows that things are bad. They don't need to be beat up about it. So for me, as soon as I look over there, I go, let's talk about a couple of things. Find anything you can to be positive about. So I'll go, let's look at your lips first. First of all, congratulations. You have something that so many people would want. Look how wide your smile is. You show molar to molar. That's amazing. People would kill for that. You already have that. So good for you. Your lip symmetry is phenomenal. And then I'll show one of the pictures retracted. No matter how ugly the teeth are, I'll go, wow, your tissue is really healthy. Mrs. Jones, I got to be honest with you. You're two thirds there. Great lips, great tissue. All we got to do is fix the teeth. That's it. And she's like, okay, what am I doing, Kirk? I'm being complimentary without being cheesy. I'm pointing out the things that 
are true to her, but no one takes the time because they're so busy looking at teeth and forgetting those teeth are connected to somebody. So what I might say to somebody is I might say a compliment such as, how old are you again? They'll say, 68. I go, got to be honest with you. So great. Look at you. 68, good teeth, good tissue. You have all your teeth. Most people I work on a 68 don't have all their teeth. Another compliment that they're happy to hear. Right. I'm not placating them. I'm just truly pointing out the things that I'm seeing as a human. So here's what happens. At this point, I basically say, okay, let's talk about a couple things. What I'm about to say right now, Kirk, is probably the biggest element that converted over to getting so many people to say yes. You can't let the consults just go awry at this point. What happens is you say to a patient, well, tell me what you're looking for. And they'll start pointing at their teeth and going down these weird rabbit holes. Well, I just got this one crown on the left done already, so I don't wanna cut that off. So maybe you could match these other ones and they start going into this weird thing. We got rid of all that. I tell them right off the bat, if you want your teeth to look better, I've narrowed it down to three defaults. Notice it's three. Remember that little trick? Yeah. yeah. So I go, yeah. You good so far? You following me, right, brother? I'm great. I'm great. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So I go, here's what we do. I've narrowed it down to three defaults. Now I want to make sure every dentist or team member that's listening to this understands you can get together in your own office and figure out what your defaults are, but come up with three. Give them three ways to look at their mouth and decide which one they believe they fall into or you help them fall into that category. Don't give them five, don't give them just two, don't tell them you have to do a full mouth reconstruction right off the bat. So I, I, I show them three defaults. The three I show them are probably the most common things dentists will do if you wanna change the smile. So I go, okay, I'm gonna show you some cases of our cases. Now, one of the great things when you show before and afters, Kirk, I think a lot of dentists just show before and afters just to kind of in a sense show off before, after, before, after. There's nothing to learn there. So what I tell them is, I'm gonna show you some very specific things. Everything that's already programmed on our TV as before and after are there, it's there for a reason. To get past the bias as well, I also tell the patient this, you will see some smiles you do not like on that screen. And here's the thing, I'm happy about that. Because you know why? Those smiles were meant to fit someone's face specifically. Right. You're only seeing the smile. So if you see some smiles you don't like, that's totally okay. What I want you to see is concepts here of where we're gonna figure out where you fall into. And they go, oh, okay. Because now I'm getting rid of that. Because you know people would see some of the afters and be like, yikes, I don't like oh, yeah. that. But they don't wanna say anything. So easy, here we go. The first default we have in our practice is you can do your front four teeth. So I show two or three cases of just front four, very common, seven through 10, and explain to the patient, if you love everything else and we can make this blend in and we don't want to give you four white stupid teeth, we're going to blend in. This is the hardest dentistry to do. But what have I done? I've already eliminated this. Can you do just this one tooth for me? We've That's not an option in my practice because it's not a default. A default is why do you have to do four? Well, since the age of two, we know this by science, your brain has looked for something even as a child called bilateral symmetry. We look right in the middle and we split the difference. This but we only look so far off the middle. That's why we gotta go to the laterals. No one will ever say your number four doesn't match your number 13. Right. It's too far off the midline. So the front four creates the illusion enough for someone to be happy to say, this made a nice change. So that's our first default. Second default is, which I go to as I show them, I go, the second default's very common. 
which is the average person walking through the door, such as yourself, will ask me a simple question. How many teeth do I need to do to make my smile? And I go, the, the answer is easy. What shows when you smile? So as long as you've taken a picture of their smile from front and left, just bring it back up on the screen and show, you show 10 teeth. Let's show you what 10 teeth looks like because you need to do what shows. And this is my chance to get my little digs in, my yeah. little digs. And I go, if you're at a consult and someone says, just do your front six teeth, run. Mm. Because they can see on their own photos that six would not work. Four will work if you're going to blend it in. Six would cut your smile off right here, which would look ridiculous. You need to do what shows when you smile. Here's 10 teeth. And I showed them some cases of 10. So we're a default, four teeth, 10 teeth. Or the last default is I have to open your bite because you have all this dentistry, you're overclosed, you have first premolar extractions. These are all things we teach in our course of being able to recognize that real quickly, know in your head, I need to open their bite. This is a technical dentistry thing. And you know instantly when you look at somebody, that person needs their bite open, so I'm gonna show them this one last. You remember, Kirk, I said there's always three things I show them. Yeah. The one I want them to do is the one I always show them last. I live in a demographic where most of my clients are women over the age of 65. Most of them have a ton of dentistry, lots of wear, overclosed. I don't have any supermodels and I'm not working on beautiful 24 year olds that want to get thin little prepless veneers, you know, because I've got an Instagram shoot. That's not us, man. Right. That is not us. So I always show that one last when I believe already when I glance at them, I knew your training should be enough now that you could glance at somebody real quickly and pretty much know, okay, I know where their dentistry is going. Let me now show you my three defaults. And the one I'm showing you last is the one I want to stick. Wow. This is extremely important. This, that concept of showing you last, because all the data has showed us, you will remember most about the thing you heard last. Last. So I will show always the case that the cases are overclosed like theirs, where they don't really show any lowers when they're biting down, where we need to open their bite and we go that. And that becomes 14. So our defaults in our practice are four teeth, 10 teeth, or 14 teeth. And what that means is 14 can obviously be 12 if they're missing a molar here or there. But my point is we're going to need to open your bite. By having three defaults in a consult, starting off with compliments, explaining those things, Getting past this, you don't want chiclets, you don't want your teeth to look, you know, we don't make chiclets, we don't make teeth that look not natural. Getting inside their head saying, yes, I like what this person is saying. Yes, I'm connecting with them. Yes, I see that my dentistry falls into that last category. That's the one I need to do. Then you can look back and say, this is why I don't want you to end up somewhere else because if they build you just like you are right now, everything is going to fail. Yeah. I'd rather you do nothing. I'd rather run into you at the supermarket and say, hey, you didn't do anything and I'm glad you didn't because if it's not for you, don't go do the wrong thing because it's going to be a mess and your dentistry will fail. And unfortunately, Rob and I have joked about this. We're in South Florida. We are a dumping ground for failing dentistry. Yeah. It's, it's really unfortunate. People are like, I just left the Northeast or I just left wherever. I just had these uh, 12 teeth done. I'm like, yeah, they built you right where you are. Things are falling off and breaking and everything like that. It's a disaster here in South Florida. So my point is this. If you have the training, you've put the time in to recognize these cases and then show them why you can do what you can do for them and have it make sense, a lot of people will go, yes, I'm connecting with you. 
Yes, I realize that's where I'm at. And yes, I realize this is the, the option I'm supposed to be making. By the time that consult's over, they're like, no one has explained it in this way. No one's gone through this. It's a lot of, oh yeah, we do veneers and let me show you before and afters and I'll just slap some white things on your teeth. And people were like, I feel like you're trying to sell me something, yeah. you know, and nobody wants that. Yeah. And we're only scratching the surface here. I, I want to talk about your protocol course in which you actually yeah. get into the details. But any last thoughts on the trust component, like as young dentists build a career talking to patients? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I think the most important thing to understand is um, trust is an extremely, extremely involved topic. I will continue to build on my lecture series of, of this concept of trust and how it appeals to us. But if your everyday practice, I think it's important to understand the confirmation bias is going to be an important thing. So if you're going to want people to trust you, having never met you before, you've got to nail it at the front end, meaning your team has to be on point. So by the time you walk in there, their confirmation bias leads more towards wanting to agree that they believe they're in the right spot and they're with it. So knowing that, let's say you're a younger practitioner. And when I say younger, for me, that means 10 years or less. Wanting to trust someone has a very powerful neurolog- neurobiological roots built within us. But genuine trust, it's gonna, it has to be earned and it takes time. So don't be surprised if you're kind of new in your practice and you're getting strangers coming in and they're not converting to you because they have no trust in you whatsoever. They don't know. The only way you're gonna be able to do that is gonna either be time or you're gonna to have to be magical with some of those other elements I talked to you about. So when you're communicating with these people about ability, benevolence, integrity, if those things are being portrayed, you will find that the trust may ramp up faster than maybe what you're doing right now, just trying to build a dental practice in a community where maybe you're new and there's so many other dentists out there. So nail these things, ability, which we also call competence, benevolence and integrity. Work on those things specifically, both in your communication skills and what you're presenting. Everybody wants to be famous on Instagram right now. We've got two things going on dentistry driving me crazy. Everybody wants to be famous on Instagram, which I totally get. And everybody wants, everyone's doing the, I'm going to buy seven practices and sell them for 20X and I'm retiring by 35. Yeah, yeah. Take it easy. This is not everyone's first rodeo. Do you know how many times we've gone through cyclical things like this? Listen. Concentrate on being a great dentist. Take the education necessary to say it's going to take time. Rob and I went, I told you, all of, all of Frank Spears' courses back in the day, all of Coise, Panky, Dawson, we put our time in, right? And sacrificed a lot of money and a lot of time to say, okay, now that we've got our dental skills up to par, what about our human skills, our ability to then connect with people, relate, our physical plan, all the other things fall in line. So if you're a new practitioner, understand trust comes over time. Yeah. It is inherent for people to want to trust you, but it's going to take a it's going to take a little bit of time and you got to be okay with that. You know, yeah. so don't don't you can't you can't uh you can't rush it is what I'm getting at. Yeah, you know, I love it. And if you're telling me there's only two things going on in dentistry, somebody being famous on Instagram and buying a bunch of businesses, both of them sound not interesting to me. Like the first <laughs> one, what a terrible goal that is. Number two, what are you doing about one business before you buy 20 of them is my thought. But uh, that's a whole right. other podcast, brother. I want you guys to talk about, I don't know, I know I don't get you for much longer, but I want to talk about the protocol and what you guys have designed. And I already have a bunch of people that are coming down to see you. You guys are selling what the heck is the protocol? What is oh, it? What man. do you do? Okay. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. The protocol has just been 
nothing short of just of just awesome. Um, let me tell you what it is. When COVID hit, lecturing stopped. Uh, the dynamics of everyone's practice. I remember you had days going, you were talking to people for days and uh, just trying to get a vibe. Everyone was scared. Everything was going crazy. Now we've gotten used to COVID, but it, it did have impact on us. During that COVID, um, Rob was talking to me. My partner was talking to me about, you know, buddy, I don't know if I want to get back on the road. It's, you know, it's my body's taking a beating. Everything's taking a beating. So he was walking on the beach, having a discussion with someone and they said, you know, they went blah, 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 blah. And someone said, well, you got to go. He, Rob said, I got to go through this protocol. And someone said, that's the name of your course. So he named it. the. Pro- I got to give Rob credit. He named it the protocol. He comes to me and says, this is what we should do. And I go, nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> I go, that's not going to work. And he goes, what are you talking about? I go, man, we'd be lucky if we got four people to sign up. Nobody cares about Ramsey and Ritter. And he goes, no, no, no. And quickly we realized we had so much to give on the restorative side, on all the psychology side. So we created a course that's two days long. It's a Friday, Saturday. It goes through a chronological order. Now, this is something no one has ever done. You cannot deny that those names I've already mentioned, those institutions I've already mentioned, make you a better dentist. But if you can't get butts in the chair to commit to the dentistry and then execute that dentistry, it's all pointless. Right. So we have a chronological way of running the course. Literally, from the, as soon as you sit down, the first day, first hour starts off with, how do people find you? And I don't mean this cheesy, hire these companies for SEOs for $500 a month. We're not doing any of that. What we're really breaking down is the hardcore behind the scenes stuff that's making a difference. Right now, if you're listening to us and you simply grabbed your mobile device and, and typed in dentist, cosmetic dentist, or general dentist, Jupiter, Florida, Ritter Ramsey comes up number one. Not in the ads, but in the map packs, organic search, we are always, always, always number one. That's not by accident. How did that happen? We were able to explain this, and I mean literally behind the scenes. If you look at our website, ritterandramsey.com, you'll go, oh, wow, this is really nice. There are thousands of pages of data behind each page of our website and built in a certain way to have effect, not because we hired a company to do it, right? Because we surrounded ourselves with the people necessary that made it happen. So we explain all that. So the chronological order is this. How do people find you? All that social media, all that stuff. Now they found you. Okay, that's the first hour. Next hour is now they come in. How do you do the consult? That's what I do here. Now let's say they, okay, now they've committed. How do you take all the records? Rob and I have had, we're on our eighth scanner, right? So we have three iteros in the practice rolling around. It's like a Star Wars movie. There's scanners everywhere. So how do you take the digital records? How do you execute the dentistry? How do you deliver it all? It's literally a chronological order from beginning to end, covering the photography, literally all the elements. Now, it's not a photography course. It's not a consult course. It's a course walking you through the necessary elements for you to understand every single segment over two days so that you can clean up whatever's going in your office. I need to clean up my social media so people come in. Now that they're in, how do we convert them? How do we do all the stuff that Ramsey talks about? I give you all the keys right? All the, all the body language keys, all the things necessary for you to have these conversations. Then how do you scan or impress? How do you collect all the data? Then what's amazing is we have four team members there that are part of the protocol with us that are our team. Many of those doctors want to talk to the team because they want to know everything about paperwork. How do you, I have a plastic surgery model. All of our cases are paid two weeks in advance before, not day of, none of that. It's two weeks in advance, paid for in full. So the day they come in, we execute the dentistry. 
So we go over all that, all the language necessary, all the way to the very end, by the time you deliver, and then how do you get the photography at the end? How do you get the testimonials correct? What companies are we using to help us with our Instagram and, and different social media platforms? We give it all away. Kirk, I'm going to tell you, we give it all away. Some of these courses, you can always tell people how oh, they're holding back a little bit. We don't. We give you everything. We're up late at night. And then, of course, because we're in South Florida, we give everybody at the protocol a Palm Beach experience, meaning we make sure you're at the right hotels. We take you to a massive dinner on Friday night that is that is the best of the best food. It's at a restaurant that I'm a member of that Michael Jordan owns here um, called 1000 North. They treat us like gold. We make sure that everything you put in your mouth from food to drink to the cocktail reception at the end, it's all the best of the best. We would not do this course unless we said we're going to spend all the revenue on making sure that every element, and I mean everything, food, drink, transportation, everything you need is top notch. And I will tell you, if you go to, you know, you've heard of Course Karma. Have you seen that? No. What is that? Oh, come on. Kirk, you're the man. You should know. CourseKarma.com. Very cool. Course Karma is you can go to CourseKarma.com and type in the course you're looking for. And all these people have left reviews of courses that they've taken and their thoughts on it. And it's oh, wow. super cool. So we've had these people leave these amazing reviews on Course Karma about you type in the protocol. And man, it's been huge, huge. So mm -hmm. for us, we are so grateful. So last year, uh, 2022, no, what year are we in right now? 22? 2021. Yeah. yeah. 2021. We did three courses because we do them once a quarter. Then we announced all of our classes for this year, 2022. We had February. It was sold out. May is coming up around the corner in a month. It's sold out. August is sold out. And we've got a couple seats in November. And then we're going to release dates for 23. So we're doing it four times a year. We squeeze 14 to 15 people into, so it's small group learning, which we love. It's not 50 people in a room. It is literally one-on-one. -on -one. Everybody gets to know each other really well. We have some amazing corporate support, but let me be clear. This is one of the first courses you may take. We are influenced by no one. No one dictates what we say. No one dictates what we use. If we, we, they get tons of product when they come, which is a little bonus surprise I'm kind of giving away. Yeah. People will leave anywhere between $12 and $1,700 worth of product in a beautiful case. Those are all the products they saw in the lecture that we use that all these great companies were gracious enough to give away. So it's amazing. If you go to theprotocollive.com, you will see more about it and you'll see the dates. I cannot tell you how excited I am to finally be in an environment where I'm going, wow, I'm delivering something with my business partner that is so unique and so amazing that I just, every course, the people that are taking the course, they'll tell you, how's Ramsey at the course? I'm like, oh my God, I'm so happy you guys are here. I love it so much, man. That's I love awesome. it. I love it. Well, I'm coming down yeah. just to have the dining experience alone. Like I, I said, you're going to, yeah. Awesome, brother. Well, I can't thank you enough for being on, man. You guys are going to have to check it out. Make sure you check out Ritter and Ramsey's um, protocol course. Also, if you haven't had Chris Ramsey speak, you got to have him speak. Or if you've ever got a chance to see this guy do his thing, it's magical. So I am so grateful to have you on, brother. And I'm going to have you back again. We're going to cover a whole nother, whole nother subject. Uh, and yeah, I have man. no doubt yeah. you're going to bring a ton of value. So thank you very Thanks, much. Brother. Awesome. Well, Thanks. stick around while I say goodbye to everybody else. But thank you guys for listening to Best Practices Show. Hey, if you enjoyed today, which I know you did, 
do us a favor. Just hit the share button, share with your friends. Keep sending us suggestions for things that you guys want to see, and I'll line them up for you. Till then, see you guys, and uh, hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day. Talk to you soon. There you have it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Best Practices Show. I hope you sure did enjoy it. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. We are always here for you. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you consume podcasts. And if you really enjoy it, you can leave a comment or a four or five star review. But until we see you next time, keep watching the Best Practices Show.